we mentioned last week that you got a new job. Yes, I got a new job. I'm excited. So have you like started yet? Are you still like... So I've done like a little bit of work for my new job, like in preparation for stepping into the role, but my first day is actually tomorrow. Oh, that's exciting. That's yeah. super exciting. I'm really excited. I really like the people that I get to work with. Um, and I'm excited about being in like the social justice side of this work full time. That's dope. So like, I guess on a more technical side of it, like has your previous place of employment like talked to you about like cleaning out your office or like how is that going? Honestly, my like transition to like stepping out of that role has been for the most part just me deciding what to do and doing it so I made a document of all the things that the next person who takes my job needs to know um submitted like reports early just so they don't you know fall behind on that for cleaning out my office I had to contact them and they said that I can come clean it out next week Oh shoot, I should probably do it. <laughs> we, so, can both, we both have to clean our offices. So for those of you uh, that may not know, uh, Jill and I actually used to work at the same uh, institution of higher yeah. education. And I left in early June and she's leaving this week. I definitely still haven't cleaned out my office. And I have like personal stuff in there actually. And that's the thing, like I don't want to buy new stuff for a new office. Right, so that's a big from my old office and but they said I can come Monday they said I'm gonna have to do a full like COVID screening at the door oh wow not that thing down my throat I'm not putting that down there oh like the, the that, nasal yeah I don't wanna thing. do the nasal thing if I have to do that you know what mail me my stuff right you can pack it for me like do the work for me and send it to me um hopefully it's just like a forehead temperature right. scanning thing but yeah, I'm gonna go do that Monday. Yeah, so I definitely should probably email somebody. I'm gonna have to get on it, cause gotta get your stuff. Yeah, I, listen, I spent hella money in Target trying to decorate my office when I first started there. No, your office is definitely back. fire. See, my office, like, I wasn't that connected to the office, but I do have like my paintings that are on the walls and like my pictures. I want, I want that stuff back more than anything. And my little Abraham Lincoln head that oh. I use as a paperweight. Definitely need that stuff back. Yeah, I want it back. Well, I guess I could do it without Abe. But I want my pictures. <laughs> See ya, Abe. Yeah, he can stay. But I want my pictures. So, like, um, with your new job, I think you touched upon this last week. But like, mm -hmm. so what, what will you be doing, like? So I am the director of leadership development. So I'll be overseeing the programs that include like developing community leaders to so the Emerging Leaders Program, um, Justice Leadership Institute. That's one, something that happens once a year. And then the Youth Action Program, helping, you know, youth get involved with movement work. For the most part, besides focusing on developing curriculums, I'll be, um, helping working with like voter registration campaigns and things like that. So I'm really excited. Everything is like right up my alley and it's all about cultivating new community leaders and organizers so that we can have a bigger impact and call for the changes that we need to see in our communities. Right. Now, so it's like so social important. work for like macro 
Yeah, level. like that's so important. So like, you know, people forget that like it's great to have great leaders, but it's even more important and awesome to cultivate like new leaders. So yeah. yeah. What's up dope. with your job? How's it been going? Um so, so definitely virtual onboarding has not been my friend. Mm-hmm. Um really like trying to navigate HR paperwork like it's so much easier to like meet a person and say like hey I'm new help me fill this out versus like having to one hunt down the person in HR to say like hey I literally don't know how my direct deposit is gonna work or what my 401k plan is gonna look like so it's been a little bit stressful on top of the fact of trying to learn my new role, um, which really much, pretty much encompasses orientation, new student orientation for the entire college campus. And I'll also be overseeing, um, they call it a Title III initiative, which is helping first year students transition to college settings. Um, so obviously everything looks different in a college setting right now because of COVID. So that has also been difficult trying to explain to first year students that what you anticipated in terms of a college experience is not probably what you're going to get right now. And I can only imagine how devastating that might be because I felt like being immersed in that experience was like everything for me. But other than that, I can't complain. Um, My boss is super flexible. My team for the most part is cool. It's hard also building professional relationships when not physically connecting with Mm -hmm. people, but I go back next week, so we'll see. Yeah, I start in the office tomorrow. <laughs> I'm ready though. I need to get out of my house. Like, let me out. <laughs> I'm ready to have that separation time between work and then being at home. That makes sense. Yeah. You gotta get out to something place. Yes. Too long. Exactly. Hey y'all, this is Lola Love and poet Julian Hainsworth, and we are Atypical, Atypical Social, Social Workers. Workers. Thank you so much for tuning into our fifth episode. Yes, we episode are, five. Yes. <laughs> We're so excited that everybody is like into this and we love doing it. It's and this super is fun. fun. Yeah, five is like, my favorite number. You know what? My, I think four is one of my favorite numbers, but that's a whole nother <laughs> conversation for a different day. But, um, so, it's time for 21 questions. Yeah, you know, let's, let's hear it. Let's, let's talk about these transitions and these workflows. Um, so, we, you know, like we said in the opening, like we both transitioned to new jobs. So, like, as you were preparing to leave um, where you were at, mm-hmm. what are kind of like some things that you feel like, I don't know, made karma go your way? Like, what did you do? to remain marketable even while having a job that made it possible for you to get another job and during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, so as far as marketability, I think for me, um, my commitment makes me the most marketable. Commitment and passion. Um, a lot of times, especially when you are doing movement-based social work, um, it's really easy to kind of lose your momentum especially because some of the like work that needs to be done, the changes that we need to happen are long-term changes. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if the people who were a part of the civil rights movement were like, nah, we not see immediate results, so we're done. Right, new job, who Right, is? so um, somehow, some way, I'm super grateful for this, but I've been able to maintain my passion for this work. Um, 
and throughout this pandemic, because we've also been experiencing a civil rights movement, a mm-hmm. black liberation movement, um, I've been able to simultaneously occupy my traditional social work, domestic violence advocate space, and my movement-based community organizing mm. role. Um, and that is, that's when I like felt that pull, like this is where I need to go. I need to go in this direction. And I think the fact that I was still so committed to it, even during a pandemic, right. still going out to the rally, still trying to bring organizations together so that we can have uh, a demonstration that is less siloed. Right. Um, I think those are the things that made my new boss be like, okay. Like, I see you. Like, she, yeah, like, <laughs> she really about this life. And I've been, like, um, volunteering for a few years okay. with um, this organization. And the organization is called Open Buffalo. Um, look it up. It's an amazing organization. And um, I've been volunteering with them for a while. So I think just my commitment to the work and to the organization and to making sure that I embody everything that I'm asking for is what made me the most marketable. Mm. Um, and then during this transition, I just... Same thing. I stay committed to everything that I need to do in my last role. Today was my last day as of 5 o'clock, so I refer to it as my old job. (laughs) But, you know, I stayed consistent even when I felt like I was like, my my one foot was like inching out of the door. And I was kind of feeling like, okay, why am I going so hard when I'm not even going to have this job next week? Um, But I, I just, I did what I had to do. And... I think it was a smooth transition so far. That's dope. I mean, that's that's important. I mean, like, I guess in reflecting on my last transition, honestly, I guess if if I'm really being honest, it was somewhat methodical. Um, Maybe not as quickly as it happened, but like, so just to give context, my last role was a contracted position. So... I knew when I took the job that it was going to be over after about five years. And so I always knew that there would be this end date. And I always knew I didn't want to be that person scrambling to find another job um, during like the last few months that it was set to expire. So my plans, though, were to actually like move out of town. Um, But a lot of like what Jillian has already said, I think I think honestly what has helped or what helped me to be noticed, um, even when I wasn't trying to be, mm-hmm. was just staying committed and mm-hmm. focused on what it was that I was doing, staying passionate. Um, but I will add the element of I went to a really great seminar back in, I would say like late fall. And it was so good that the students I used to work with, I asked those same people to come in and do it for them in February. Mm-hmm. And it was all about how to make your LinkedIn profile work for you. Mm-hmm. And I have had a LinkedIn for a while. And I really was just like, it's this other like Facebook thing that I don't really pay attention to, but I'll dabble into it sometimes mm-hmm. and whatever. But when I really started to take some of the tips that these guys shared, it really, I could see the increase in engagement on my LinkedIn profile. And it allowed me to, I think, network and reach people that I may not physically have encountered otherwise. 
And it also helps to give you a sort of like virtual professional polish that mm -hmm. employers and recruiters who are who use LinkedIn as that resource um, can kind of see. And I really enjoyed it, not just trying to put myself on a platform, but I also use my LinkedIn to like just showcase how passionate I was about what the students that I was working with were doing and in doing that, helping to elevate their platform um, as students and eventually as like nurses. So it was just a really, really good tool. And I do think that that did play a role in making someone that I had met in person feel confident in my ability because she didn't necessarily know too much about the day in and day out of what I was doing at work. Like she knew a little bit about what I did, but she definitely didn't necessarily know about like my professional reputation and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that the engagement from people within that same organization that I was working at and from other people that have worked with me along the way kind of made her feel like, oh, I can definitely push this person's name along. And so I, I think that's what helps the most with staying marketable while having mm -hmm. a job. Another thing that I did, and I wasn't I wasn't positive when I made this decision, is when I resigned, I told my old supervisor, we were on the phone, and I was like, you know, I just want to give you a heads up so you're not caught off guard. I am going to submit my resignation today. And um, I told her, I said, the, the organization that I'm going to, the job that I'm going to be doing, like, this is something that's always been a goal for me, to be able to step into this wholeheartedly 100% spend all my time doing this work is like a dream you know mm -hmm. this is not an area that a lot of people get to do full-time as their work so I told her you know this is not something that I can say no to this is a part of who I am this is a part of my purpose and I think just like really expressing to her that my transition is not about her mm -hmm. and it's not about the college mm -hmm. it's about my purpose and mm -hmm. it's about where I need to be at in my life and that kind of helped her see it that way as opposed to saying oh we're losing one of our staff members or now I'm gonna have to take on a little bit of extra responsibility until we replace you right the the conversation turned to wow like it's amazing that you know what your purpose is it's I mean knowing your purpose is literally everything because I think I've obviously seen people post this over the years but like the minute that you are working within your passion it stops becoming work yeah. and I long for the day that I feel like that and I, I feel like I'm close mm -hmm. honestly um I really do love working in higher education and things like that so I feel like I'm, I'm definitely close but the time does go by way faster when you like really, really enjoy what it is that you're doing. When you're having fun. Absolutely. And that's the thing, like at my new job, I like I always enjoy myself there. I never leave there feeling spent. Even if I have to do something that's gonna take a lot of brain power or, you know, physical energy. I will always leave like, wow, like, okay, that was, that's what's up. That was kind of dope. Like, that's awesome. So I'm excited. I, I am not naive. I do know that there are going to be times where I will be burnt out. I do know that there are going to be times where I feel very defeated. There are going to be times where I'm expecting a win and I'm going to get handed a big fat L. Mm. <laughs> I do know that. Um, so I'm in no way saying like, oh, I found the perfect job. The perfect job does not exist. Um, but I am saying that I found a role that's perfect for who I am as a person and 
I don't know if this is the role that's going to be perfect for who I am as a person forever, you know, because we grow, we evolve. Right. But I do know that right now, today, I am going to go to work fulfilled. That's what's up. I yeah. Mean, that's, a, that's a powerful statement in and of itself. So if there is something, what is something, like what's one thing that you'll miss from the place that you're leaving? Um, I really, of course, some of my coworkers, like I've really formed some really strong relationships and mentorships with some of the people that I've gotten the privilege to work with. And of course, I'll miss seeing them every day, but I have every intention of keeping in touch with them. Um, and I'll also miss being an expert in my field. <laughs> like I'll miss not being the person in the room who has to be caught up. Right. And that's something that all that comes with a new job, but I haven't changed fields in a long time. Like right. my area of focus has been interpersonal violence for a very long time. Um, I mean, not that long, like I'm only 27, but you know, for years, right. that's been my area of focus. And now it's to the point where I can tell you anything you need to know front and back about that field, about that topic. And now I'm like, a baby again like I need to I need to learn again Style. so I'm excited about that but I'm also a little intimidated by the idea of being the one person in the room that has to be caught up <laughs> yeah it's, it's um it definitely is a little nerve-wracking to be like the novice yeah. especially like you said coming from a period where you weren't the novice like mm-hmm. you had cultivated kind of like your point of view in the field yeah. your uh feasibility with navigating that field and so going back literally to just like learning mm-hmm. things and holding a role where traditionally the people who hold this role are, are older than i am yeah that's so they that's just have more tough. straight up life experience than i do that's always um tough. and that was even one of the questions that got brought up like in my interview like you're younger than people that we normally see in this role so do you think that's going to affect your ability to do the role so for those young social workers out there you know especially under 35 Mm because i feel like that's when you're still seen as like a baby um a baby in the professional world you can affect people you can create change regardless of how old your clients are when i was working in interpersonal violence and people would come see me from the homeless unit, it wasn't like, can you go find somebody older to help me find someone to sleep tonight? It was, I need help and I need help now. Right. And my age did not matter when I was being of service. And I am anticipating that that will continue. <laughs> I'm hoping that that will continue um, because I'm not getting older faster than anybody else. Right. So I'm, all, I'm gonna be the youngest. And that's just what it is. But it's okay. I'm excited. Yeah. So I think it's important, like, not to count yourself out um, based on your age just because everybody starts from somewhere. Yeah. And I remember I used to I used to do that a lot to myself when I was in, like, early, especially in social work. But nobody can take away your experiences and the knowledge that you have gained over the years. Like, granted, there is definitely always something new to learn, but mm-hmm. don't discredit your experiences and the information that you do know just because chronologically you might be younger than somebody else but I feel like so when I left uh, my previous job I feel like the thing I definitely miss most is 
the group of students that I was working with. Mm -hmm. It was the first time that I had worked in a role that was specifically made to elevate uh, black students. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that a lot. I enjoyed being able to hear what their experiences were and let them know that, you know, it wasn't abnormal to be experiencing those things. So being able to like normalize struggle, even during higher education was super important. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that at some point in my new role, if things transition with students back on campus, that I'll get the opportunity again to make new connections with students. But mm -hmm. my, my old students are always going to be like close to my heart. Yeah. I think if I, so my role at the institution that we came from, um, it was also a contracted role with a start and end date. Um, but it was more focused on developing policy procedures, on programming, and creating a cultural campus response mm. to interpersonal violence. So how do we as a campus view interpersonal violence? How do we respond to it? How do we actively try to prevent it? Um, how do our policies align with our programming? And do our procedures align with our policies? And like things like that. I do think that if it was a little bit more forward facing, like student wise, mm -hmm. it would have been a little tougher to make this decision oh, to like leave. The like yeah. the students that I would work with, they come to me in crisis. You know, we resolve whatever we can. We bring in outside resources wherever we need to. And then the hope is that they don't have to stay working right, with stay me. Because with um, if you're working with me, then that means... You're still in crisis. Exactly. So with me, my relationship with students, even though, you know, once they worked with me, they would feel comfortable to me so they would you know come in my office and talk to me about their home lives and things like that which is perfectly fine but for the most part the students see me at a really really low point we get them back up and then i push, push them you. out of the nest <laughs> and now you you take what we've talked about and take what we've planned and you apply that to your life so i think if it was more of like a casework model where mm -hmm. i was working long term with specific students I probably would have felt a little bit more like married to my role. Yeah. But because yeah. it was like, you know, I'm creating programs and developing curriculums and updating policies. Um, again, more like macro instead of micro. Yeah, a lot work. of administrative type pieces. Yeah. Like, so. Um it was like, okay, bye. <laughs> bye. So what would you say kind of like I don't know, like what's one thing that you're like I'm so looking forward to this in like my new role. Um, I'm really looking forward to not being a minority at work. Mm. I'm looking, my supervisor is a black woman. That's awesome. And she's the executive director. And then the deputy director is a black man. That's awesome. And it's like, excuse me, I get both. <laughs> um, like what? So it's I'm like really, listen, like we at, <laughs> like we're sitting in meetings and stuff and I can bring up, you know, like cultural things that are happening that's happening in the news and you know things that my other coworkers wouldn't necessarily understand right i can talk like myself i can make the same jokes that i would make when it's like you and i sit in the room right. i can you know i can say what's up instead of 
top of the morning to you <laughs> um yeah like i really get to be my i don't have to code switch like of course there's always going to be at times where you do have to when you're right. a black person it's just it comes with the territory where times when you feel like you do have to right um but i don't anticipate that being often and i'm really excited about that that in itself is just like a refreshing mental break to just be able to not worry about what bringing your full self to work is going to do in terms of like your professional outlook with the organization right. and i can wear t-shirts that's dope to work Being like hello is always a plus yes and i love a nice <laughs> little you know black quote on a shirt so what about you what's your favorite thing so far about your new role i so really i think again just working with students so i work with and also an awesome group of student leaders that facilitate our virtual new student orientations right now. Mm -hmm. And I have very much enjoyed like getting to know them. Like three of them live in New York city, so they're not physically here. And then two of them are from this area. So they are from Buffalo and it's just cool to like get to know again, another new set of students, but also to see like, them grow as leaders during the course of this orientation time um, to watch them fielding questions of incoming students and letting Mm -hmm. them know like what their experience was like i just think it's important to always like pour into the next generation Mm -hmm. so i do feel rewarded by being able to kind of like watch that happening right now Mm -hmm. um i think the other thing is just more like i'm hoping certain things go a certain way once people transition back to campus so again but it's still very much all like student centered. Like I just, I really enjoy working with people during this like period of their mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And I mean, like you're so dope at your job, just so you know. <laughs> like even at your, in your last role, like you killed it all the time. Killed it. Brilliant, brilliant job. Snaps for Lola. <laughs> other news in other news so did you know that on average um people between the ages of 18 and 48 switch jobs about 11.7 times i i guess i would never have like thought that number doesn't it seem kind of high maybe i mean it does but also like when i look at the jobs i had like in college oh that's true and then like those first couple of jobs that you get once you graduate where it's like you know you need a bachelor's degree, but you're getting paid $2 an hour. Right. <laughs> and then you start to kind of climb the professional ladder. But I still wouldn't have thought like 11 times. It's, but like, who am lot. I to judge? Like, I've gone through three cars in four years. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's weird because I think I've always struggled with like a sense of like loyalty mm-hmm. to jobs. Almost yeah. to a fault. Like a lot of my friends and my family members have told me that where I have definitely held on to a job out of a weird sense of like i don't want to look flaky yeah um and stayed for like years and years and years when i guess i should be switching up more often you had to catch up okay (laughs) no i so at our last place of employment i remember speaking to someone who I, i genuinely value this um woman and she's a black woman who just like has always been very open and honest, easy to talk to, easy to, you know, talk about just real life, like real stuff. And um, I remember talking to her and 
we were just talking about like being obligated to your job and being mm-hmm. tied to your job. And she said something that really stuck to me. She's like, you know, if something happens to people and they can't work anymore, like, God forbid, if somebody dies, their position's gonna get posted. Like, they're gonna be replaced. replaced. So, if the job, if we are replaceable as employees, the job has to be replaceable. That's so true. Like, you have to kind of see it through that lens where it's like, I love my job, so I'm gonna stay. But I also love myself enough to leave when I know it's time. That's a whole fact. I yeah. mean, and that, that is like, I think it does take a certain level of maturity and time in a profession to realize that. Because yeah. that is a very valid fact. It is very real. No one at on their deathbed said, I wish I would have pulled in an extra five hours this week in the mm-hmm. office. Yeah. And so it is important to realize that like a job is terminal, just right. like any and almost everything right. in life. And so we shouldn't be completely married to a job. Yeah. You know? Now, if you love your job and you find yourself in that job for a hundred years, like my father, um, he had a job for 29 years and then he retired and started a new job that was very similar to the old job <laughs> that he had for 29 years. So... Like, I think a lot of people, we look for that, we desire that, like, somewhere where we can go and it'll offer us this sense of longevity. Like, I've been here and I've never really seen myself being the person that's like, yeah, I've been working here for 20 years. Me neither. But then it's again, sad to me. I'm 27, you know? So I feel like I'm also just not in that place in my life where I feel like, okay, now. I have to pick my permanent role. You know what? So, quick story, but I kind of went through that type of anxiety recently, and I, I think I probably talked to you yeah, about it. Yeah, I know you're about to talk about it. And yeah. so, being in this new role, it's a state role, and so I have to choose, like, of course, a new 401k plan. And so, there was only two options. One was this optional plan where it's very short term, you get vested after a year, and the other one was like this state plan, which was super dope sounding, but you didn't get vested until after 10 years. Sorry, we're being interrupted by my Kylie. most favorite doggy. Hi. She can't help us work. She's, she's also dedicated to her job. Yeah, she is our third atypical social worker. Dogs are social workers. <laughs> They make people feel better. She really just came to the nose and like, who is in my house? I'm not mad. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, so like, I had so much anxiety around choose, like trying to figure out which plan to choose because I was like, I have never really sat and started a job mm-hmm. and was like, oh, I'm definitely going to be here for 10 years or more. Yeah. And I remember talking to my parents about it and I literally got cursed out by both of them. Yeah. Because they were like, what do you mean? You're being given this opportunity to work basically at this place forever yeah and i literally like could have threw up thinking about like the aspect of forever Forever. like what forever so i mean i think it could also be a generational thing my parents have also always been focused on like you better get a county job or a state job Mm -hmm. and then you can get pension and then all this other stuff and so it's just it's been different it's definitely been different do you feel like so, like, in the field of social work, do you feel like you kind of, like, fell into the field? Do you feel like the field found you? Like, um, So, I did not always understand that you don't have to have the title of a social worker to be a social worker. Um, when I was in college, 
So I grew up in a primarily black neighborhood and then I went to a PWI um, and it was culture shock and I was thrown into literally, like there was in my freshman dorm building, four black girls, everybody Mm. else was white. Um, So I kind of took on a role of being like one of the go-to people for the black students. And then of course, you know, a black student union president and on the president's cabinet very um i've always been very good at making my opinions known um and i was studying criminal justice and law um restorative justice and civil rights and once i got out of the field i did not know what area i needed to go into i had no idea what direction to go in i was stuck when i graduated and i needed a job my stepdad was like oh Let's see if the Boys and Girls Club is hiring. And I ended up taking a job there and I worked in the teen center and I was the education specialist. So I had to keep, you know, the education, tutoring, after school learning experience equitable and equal regardless of what school the students came from. And of course those roles naturally turn into social work jobs because students start to come to you, their parents start to come to you. They tell you, I don't have food at my house. Like, this is the only time I get to eat. And you notice things. You notice mannerisms. And you notice, um, you know, just, like, really small things. Like, oh, wow, this one person who typically never eats is, like, eating like crazy. Yeah. What's up? What's going on? And so I kind of fell into the social work field. My educational background is not in traditional social work. I do not have a bachelor's or a master's in social work. Um, but all my experience is social work. So I definitely fell into it. I did not intend to do this. I was going to go to law school. I got into law school and was like, mm, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Um, and then I thought about, okay, higher ed. And I got into the higher ed program at Buffalo State. And I was like, mm, Still don't want anybody to tell me what to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I kind of fell into it and I just haven't desired to find a job that does not center around making other people's lives better into just who I am and what I do. So, that's interesting. Like, I do feel like social work and, and most helping professions are those types of professions where, like, you just have to have this, like, innate desire yeah. to, like, want to do it. It and has to be in you already it really does like um so i guess i would say like something very similar to the effect of like i kind of fell into social work Mm -hmm. um my parents always pushed me to be a helpful person i guess um to carry about the well-being of other people and but it wasn't until after i had graduated from my undergrad institution that I even consider like a professional path into social work. Mm -hmm. And I was working, I was working at a group home and I was working with adults with developmental disabilities. And there was just so much I noticed, not even just from the side of helping the people who actually lived at the site, but also just how my coworkers showed up to work every day. Like I had a very close coworker and to this day, she's very close, but she had a very tumultuous time when we worked together there she was Mm -hmm. definitely going through some personal things and 
it just it frightened me to not be able to give her resources during that time in her life. Mm-hmm. I saw how how she how hard she worked, not only at work but she was also in nursing school at the time. Yeah, and it was just it was just hard to watch somebody that you care about kind of like struggle like that. And I just knew after about a year of being there that I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to know if somebody needed something like where I could send them or be yeah. the person that could like help them resolve that mm-hmm. situation. And that's kind of, I literally just on a random win on an overnight shift was like, let me fill out this application. Yeah. And I don't need to take my GREs. Right. Well, we about to see what this is about. And I was super surprised that I got in honestly to the graduate program. And I learned a lot. I met a lot of people that I otherwise might not have met. I got exposed to one, the fact that there's different realms in social work because mm-hmm. because I didn't know so much about the field of social work going into it. I definitely was like, so does this mean I'm going to be like a high school guidance counselor? Like, yeah. like, what does this mean? Is this is that what I really want to do? And I very quickly realized that there are so many avenues in social work. So social workers listening, whether you're in school, whether you have been in your job for a while now, there are just so many directions that you can go in. hoping that because of the fact that the people that I'm working with I genuinely look up to like maybe they'll help me figure out what that end goal is or you know maybe just learning more about the types of work that I can do in like the social justice realm that will lead me to my end goal I don't I don't see things as like starting in yeah, that's I kind of just see it as as long as this is in you to do, you do it. And then the day that it is no longer in you, you find, you identify what's in you. And then you find, you go in that direction. Um, because I feel like when I tell myself that I have to, like, this is where I need to end up. So if I were to say, my end goal is to be a city planner. 
in my head, now that is what I have to work toward. Mm. And even if I get to a point where I'm like, I don't really know if I like this. It's like, no, but this is the goal. This is the direction I need to go in. And I understand that about myself. So instead of making that my focus, I'm more like, as long as I wake up every day and I feel fulfilled, I feel happy to go to work and you know you're not gonna feel happy to go to work every day especially in buffalo like the winters are brutal oh so. my gosh it just makes you want to crawl back in bed yeah like, so Let's start over <laughs> another day. yeah but as long as i wake up and i'm like yeah this is where i'm supposed to be then i'm good um i always want to elevate I, I don't like to be too um complacent when it comes to work mm-hmm. i feel like i need to learn and i need to grow and if i'm growing as a person then my roles need to grow. They need to expand and they need to evolve. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what my end goal is. Yeah, I, so I feel like I'm similar in the fact that I definitely want to be happy when I go to work every day, but I also have this like killer A-type personality that yeah. is literally like, I do have to make goals. I yeah. do have to have a check You're definitely office. way more like A-type than I am. <laughs> I'm more like, oh, yeah, let's go with the flow. Like, everybody's good. How you feeling? And you're like, okay, so I did some research. And <laughs> <laughs> I did. Research is like my favorite thing. Yeah, like, you definitely ever. got with the research. But, I, so, but it's also interesting because I am trying to learn more of like going with the flow because I feel like sometimes when I have had very concrete identified sort of like this is what i need to do mm-hmm. when those things haven't panned out it really sends me into a depression a little yeah, bit yeah it's really while. defeating yeah it, and it makes me feel like so am i not good enough am i not smart enough can i not do this mm-hmm. and i really had to kind of reframe the way that i've been thinking over the past few years and really mm-hmm. just consider like i go like, so I'm a very spiritual person as well. Mm-hmm. And I just truly believe in, like, going where God leads me. Exactly. And so wherever I'm supposed to be, I just want it to be towards the purpose that is ordained for my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think in going with that mentality, it has it has helped me to accept failure much better. Mm-hmm. Um, it has allowed me to also see things that I might have previously considered as failure as an opportunity or an eye-opening experience yeah. to where I can say like, you know what, let me leverage this and move in a different direction. Yeah. Or you've been fighting with yourself all along that you didn't really want to go in this direction, mm-hmm. but you felt like because you said it out loud that it was like yeah. written in stone and you had to do yeah. it. So honestly, failure is training. It really it's is. It's training. It's either life training or it's training you to shift your focus, shift your approach. Like failure is literally training. It's the one way we are constantly trained to help us grow. Um, so I don't even like using the word I failed. It's mm-hmm. more like, all right, that wasn't that wasn't the right way to do this. Yeah, I got to try something new. Right. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like I, I agree with you 100% with like just kind of following like what God wants you to do and... I feel like sometimes we make plans for ourselves and of course we make plans not knowing what the future holds for Mm -hmm. us and we make plans not sometimes not even flushing out everything that can come from this plan or if I reach this goal what is this 
Like, what is this really going to be like? Mm-hmm. You know, if I had a goal to become the mayor, yeah, it sounds good on paper. I'm going to be the mayor. But when I'm actually the mayor, is that really going to align with who I am? Right. And is it going to align with who I am once I reach the point in my life where I can run for office? You know I mean, what I mean? Like, I might not be... If I'm going to be the mayor in 15 years, I might not be who I am today in 15 15 years. So I kind of feel like sometimes when I set goals for myself that are too strict, I'm almost boxing myself in because I take, I don't take into account the fact that, you know, things are going to happen that I don't anticipate. Right. So of course, like I have goals, I have goals to, you know, I have financial goals and I have goals of the way I want my life to look. I have goals of how I want to feel when I wake up in the morning and I'm driving to work. Like mm-hmm. I have those kind of goals, but I don't have like a this is where I need to be in five years kind of goal. <laughs> I want to be happy in five years and I want to keep growing. And, you know, don't get me wrong, y'all. I'm definitely not as like easygoing as I might be portraying myself because I'm one of the most anxious people in the entire world but that's another thing like when you struggle with anxiety so much to the point that it almost like crippled your ability to move forward Mm -hmm. you have to learn how to not let your own future become your trigger yeah I mean my future was my trigger for a long time that's so interesting because like I like I laugh not laugh at you but I laugh and reflecting on just how I am mm-hmm. and I very much have I have a, a binder dedicated to my five year plan. Yeah. <laughs> and it definitely encompasses like financial goals, professional goals, health related goals. Yeah, because I want money. Like I'm trying to be rich. Yeah, like it's <laughs> not rich you know what? but not poor. It's it's a gift and a curse. Like I have recently, especially since um COVID nineteen and, and things have just shifted so much, mm-hmm. I definitely try to use that as a guide to like Keep your eye on the prize, yeah. not in the sense of like, you have to do this by this date and time, because I mm-hmm. used to be very focused on a specific like day and time. Yeah. But now it's more like, what are you doing each day to work towards yeah. what you say you want in life? Yeah. And if you're not doing little things to add up to whatever that big thing is, did you really want that yeah. that bad? It's like vision boarding. Yeah. It really See, is. I'm all about a vision board. All about a vision board. But I also have, again, and it has really just been a way for me to cope with how anxious I can get about my future. And of course, you know, this anxiety, it comes from the things that we experience in our lives. And, you know, my anxiety is also hereditary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just something that I've been dealing with for my entire life. And it got really, really, really bad when I was in college. And a part of the reason it got so bad was because I'm like, okay, I'm in college. I'm about to graduate. I need to get a job. I need to get good grades. My resume has to be popping. Like, I need the I need the recommendations from the president of the university. Got those. Just so y'all know. <laughs> that was, uh, that <laughs> um, was popping, popping in college. <laughs> but but it, it's like I was working myself to an early grave. And it was my work wasn't being led by my drive or my passion. It was being led by my anxiety. Mm. My anxiety of not wanting to move back home to the east side of Buffalo and live the same life that I had to survive growing up. And that's kind of when I was like, okay, 
I have to shift my my thinking in order for me to survive the world. Mm. And instead of saying, this is where I need to be a lawyer and I need to be engaged with the puppy and I need to live in a three-bedroom house with two and a half bathrooms, instead of thinking it, thinking about it like that, it's like, I need to be happy. I need to be at peace. I need to be fulfilled. I need to be growing and elevating. Um, and I apply those principles to every aspect of my life. And I do have to set small goals for myself. It's necessary. Because when you don't, you're kind of just like... You become stagnant. and You do. You don't recognize if you're actually like um, regressing. Right, right. So I will say like, okay, this is a mid-level management position. And I will not stay in a mid-level management position for more than five years. Now I'm in a director role. Right. So it's like, okay, now that I'm in a director role, like what's the next step? And how long am I going to give myself to work toward that step? But it's not so rigid where it's like... I wake up one day and this is the day that I'm supposed to quit my job. So I'm going to go in and quit my job, you know? So what would you like? So I guess like last question, right? So what would you say if you had to name like one specific thing, like what is absolutely the one thing that you recommend um, to professionals in general, Mm -hmm. social work professionals, whoever, what must they do to transition and on a and leave on a positive note? I think a lot of times when we leave jobs, unfortunately, especially when you're in a a field that has a high burnout rate, it's hard to leave on a positive note. Um, but I think keeping your focus on your next step on your elevation and on your growth will make what you're leaving behind feel a little less bitter. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a lot about my previous role that could have been better. You know, a lot of experiences that could have been different. And instead of me focusing on those experiences, I'm focusing on the fact that things that I learned from this role helped me get a new job. It helped me step into a field that aligns with who I am as a person. Um, So you think about it from the aspect of like your personal internal like transition into the next thing. Yeah, and I feel like if my personal internal transition is positive, then my outward actions will be positive. Like if I feel positive in my mind, I'm not going to be bitter in my actions you know what I, I like mean that. I mean I, I really really like that I think when I think of transitions just again because my mind is just the way that it is sometimes but I definitely think about all of like the technical pieces yeah oh yeah you got to do those yeah like, you got to make sure that you're wrapping things up that you're notifying important people that you're creating I think one of the most important things that you could ever do is to create a folder or a binder right, for the like person coming up after person. you so that they, they don't feel lost. And now for us, when we stepped into our roles, nobody had ever had those roles before. Right. They did not exist on the campuses. So we had to navigate a lot. And a lot of the things that we had to fight to figure out 
the next person should not have to fight to figure out because it got figured out already. And I mean, like, especially if you're working in a more, like, traditional social work role. Yeah. I think especially for the continuity of the people that you support or work with, it's, like, the better that you leave things kind of in a, a positive way as you transition out, the better you are able to ensure that the people who need the services mm-hmm. are going to get them in a timely manner and that the next person will be able to, like, pick up where you left off. Yeah. You know, like, it's nothing worse because I've worked in case management roles before where the person that was there before me didn't leave any information about, like, hey, I was in the process of getting this person housing or food stamps or anything like that. And so instead, I'm in my first or second week and I'm being left angry voice messages from a client who's like, what's the status of my food stamps? I'm hungry. I need this. I need that. And so I just think in any position, really, like, the best way to leave is if you can close the gap as much as you can. Don't Mm -hmm. stress yourself out with trying to do everything because that's why you're leaving. There's someone else coming in. You're leaving. You don't have to do everything. But definitely communicate the things that you weren't able to complete so that someone has a record of it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big, I believe firmly in the fact that your previous employer is always your best sort of recommendation going forward because Mm -hmm. everyone wants to know like why are you leaving right and if you always leave a job because there was some sort of like altercation it will absolutely catch up with you in the long run um people will start to like say maybe they just aren't a great professional versus maybe there was something wrong with that setting and how that worked or didn't work yeah like like they say if you always lose friends you might be the problem like, that's kind of how people think. So if it's like, oh, Jill is always leaving her job, they might not say she's searching for her fit. They might say she can't hold down a job. So it's important to remember those things. But yeah, you have to close those gaps. Um, don't put the pressure on you to do everything. Um, and then also, if you're in a role where you are developing programs, um, Give the next person permission to reimagine the program. You have to, when you let go of it, let go of it. Um, For the program that I created for the institution that we came from, there are certain things that I feel so attached to. It's like, this this is my brainchild, this is my baby. (laughs) (laughs) But I also understand that now it's somebody else's baby. And they'll make it their own. And they have to. And that's the only way it's going to be successful. I want it to be successful with or without me. So even in like, you know, the document that I created for my replacement, I put in there, like reimagine this program and make it yours. You are not tied to what I did. Right. You are not tied to the plans I had for what I was going to do. In perspective, like we talked about that before, the perspective of the new person stepping into this role might be different from mine. Um, The things that I noticed that I need that needed some focus might be different for the next person. They might notice something different. So yeah, give people permission to reimagine roles as well. They don't have to do it the way you did it, even if you feel like you did it the best. Like if you were the Beyonce of social work, (laughs) (laughs) that does not mean the next person can't come along and do it differently. Right, they can be Kelly Rowling. Listen, okay, beautiful chocolate skin. Nobody's mad. We they love deserve Kelly. a solo sometimes. Right. We <laughs> like it. So, yeah. 
dear typical social worker. So I'm going to do a little, take us a little back a little bit. Okay. So basically, um, for those of you that may or maybe may not be familiar, but back in 2012, there was this unfortunate and horrific case that took place in LA where eight-year-old Gabriel Fernandez was beaten and tortured by his mom and his mom's boyfriend. So this has recently resurfaced in the news like earlier this year because what that case sort of shed light on was the fact that there were so many gray areas and missed opportunities um, with the Department of Social Services in LA and the social workers that were assigned to the case. If you don't know a lot about the backstory, there is a Netflix documentary. I will warn you, it is extremely difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, I myself, I think, got through episode one and a half, and I just, I personally couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I watched all of it, and it is, it's really tough. So, like, super, super, super extreme trigger warning if you are interested in watching it. Um, it's a lot. It's, it's tough. So, the reason why we're bringing this up for this segment is, again, we're talking about jobs and transitions, and last week we talked about burnout and self-care, and the defense that many of these social workers used was just like, you know, they had just been recently assigned the case, someone else had it before and didn't necessarily close the loop, or they weren't aware, or they did their due diligence, and you know, once their job was over for the day, their job was over for the day. Mm -hmm. And in helping professions, there isn't a real concrete, my job starts, my job ends, especially depending on what type of field of social work you're in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, at what point are you no longer ethically obligated to respond? Or is there a time that you're not obligated to respond? I don't know. I feel like when, once you're not in the job anymore, you can't respond. Like, it's not your work to do and it's not your business to mind. So, like, once you leave, then you left. Like, it's you're gone. But that's why that transition is important so that you know that the next person, like, there are certain things, certain balls that cannot be dropped. Right. And when it's your turn to you know, do the job, you have to make sure that once you hand it over to the next person, certain things, certain things don't happen. Certain mistakes are not made. And I think in that case in particular, every single social worker that was involved in that case dropped the ball when it came to transitioning in a way that made the next person taking the case aware of everything that that case really consisted of. I um, totally agree. Like, yeah, yeah I, I also feel like, I mean, again, I'm I'm not a lawyer. Obviously, I'm not a judge or anything like that. But I'm a judge. Even in the sense of like how people should go about writing case notes, because one of the biggest claims was that, you know, the prosecutor was basically like alleging like so the social workers involved like minimize the level of abuse that this child was experiencing, which yeah. is the reason why no one felt like a strong sense of like, hey, we have to do something. We have to get involved. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by all means, never, definitely never, never, ever, ever 
falsify a document or a case note that goes mm -hmm. for exaggerating a situation that goes for minimizing a situation mm -hmm. but that also goes for like changing dates and times to be convenient for yeah. when you should have done something do it when you're supposed to do it Just and then you it. won't have to worry about catching up um and that, that's easier said than done it like, is that is so much easier said than done especially when you have a large caseload absolutely when i was working in um integrated domestic violence court at one point i had a caseload of almost 100 clients mm. and i was the only um advocate from the organization that i worked for that was stationed at the time in that court and it was really hard to keep up with my case notes because sometimes i would see a ton of people in one day and i'm sitting in court with them and i'm meeting with the ada with them and meeting with the lawyer the attorney for the children and so it was really really hard and i had to figure out systems to make it make sense i had to figure out little coded right systems, shorthand That's shorthand everything um, because you need to be detailed. You have to provide detail. It's not your role to, um, like you, you're, you're a direct translator. Right. You say exactly what happened. You don't sway how people see the situation. You have no influence over that part of things. Yeah. You should remain, remain super like unbiased and like literally like, so if I'm the social worker coming in after you into this role, I should literally be able to read this person's case notes yeah. like a book. Right. And just know exactly, like, okay, this right. is what's going on. This is what happened. This is what I did. Right. This is what I still need to do. You know, things like that. In a lot of a lot of jobs, you can get, like, audited. And Absolutely. the state or whoever, they, they might want to see those case notes. When the organization that I was working for at the time would come in and audit us, like, we would get audited by the state, they would randomly select people. Mm -hmm. And then they would see your entire caseload and randomly pick out certain cases. And they want to see those case notes. And they're not looking at the case notes. They're not even extensively reading them. Mm -hmm. They're checking the dates. Do the dates uh, um, in the file align with the dates that this person had right. or Things like that. Um, there were times where... My notes were very, very short because there it was not, yeah, not a lot to report. There wasn't a really extensive interaction. There were times where my notes were literally that the client didn't answer the phone mm -hmm. or that the client didn't show up to court. But and there are some days your notes are, are books. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, like I can recall, like similar to what you just mentioned, like I used to have a role. I was a program coordinator um, for a group home. And so one of the major responsibilities I had was when it was time for state survey, mm -hmm. making sure that the sites I oversaw were ready for state survey. And they absolutely went through those case notes. And mm -hmm. it was definitely about the date and the time because they needed to make sure that doctor's appointments aligned with case notes. Mm -hmm. If there were um, incidents that were reported that day, then the case notes needs to, needed to match the information that was in the incident. And even just beyond that, so so many of different organizations are funded through like Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. Mm -hmm. And so in order for those organizations to get the funding back um, so that they can keep afloat as a business, they have to prove what it is they did. So yeah. one of the things that I used to always tell my employees in that role because it was instilled in me was that if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, yep. 
And like I said, I understand that this is so much easier said than done because burnout rate is so high. It's so much work sometimes. It's like it, an amount of work that one person, <laughs> it seems like one person cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to remember that for some of our clients, some of the people that we're serving, it's life or death for them. It really is. You know, when we get done for the day, we get to go home. And of course, we face our own issues, but our issues may not be as severe as theirs. Right. It may not be life or death for us. We might be exhausted, but we're not facing life or death situations. And it's really important to remember that. Also, another thing to remember is that for sometimes for a person, one issue, regardless of how big or small it seems to us, that one issue can be like the biggest thing in their life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because of things that are happening internally. Sometimes it's like, you know, that glacier example, you see right, a glacier, right. but then when you see underwater, it's so much bigger. So, much bigger. so you might have a client who like curses you out because you didn't answer their phone call the mm. first time they called you but you didn't know they were homeless standing on the corner in the exactly. middle of a, a race like it's, it's deeper than that it's yeah. bigger than that it's bigger than us so i think also keeping that mindset it helps you stay grounded when you're doing this work mm-hmm. we're like this is bigger than me and even though i'm frustrated like i have clients who who have partners who have tried to kill them mm. and that has to stay at the center of my brain right because regardless of how this client treats me regardless of how tired i get i want my client to live Mm -hmm. and i want them to wake up one day and be like oh wow i didn't even realize that i'm out of that situation you know or like wow things really did get better um i don't want to be the person that they look to or that they remember and say yeah she was she was pointless. As dropping the she ball, didn't help. or just or she yeah. made it worse. You know, and I look at so I look at a lot of things from like a systems perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And again, so much of this is easier said than done, right? And again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. You know, I personally do feel that the ball was most certainly dropped with regard to Gabriel Fernandez, mm-hmm. but. I also know what it's like to be a social worker and be overwhelmed with the cases that I have or the work that I'm being expected to do mm-hmm. by a certain period of time. But that is also where, like, as much as we're taught to advocate for our clients, you also have to advocate, advocate for, for yourself. yourself. You have to. If the work that you're doing, like, if you are inundated, you know, like, sometimes maybe the rule is that you have to have 50 cases. Mm-hmm. But if you have, I don't know, 30 of those cases that are severely in depth and involved, you need to advocate for yourself and say to your supervisors, like, look, mm-hmm. these other 20 cases are, you know, pretty much a cakewalk, but these 30 take my time. So yeah. either you just leave me with these 30 and I can kind of dig in elbow deep, or I need to shuffle in some easier cases and some of my more difficult ones mm-hmm. need to be shuffled onto someone else's plate to balance out their case. Yeah. And document when you ask for help. Absolutely. Please document that. document that. Because it's it's important as a professional, because again, we talk about your previous employer kind of being your biggest advocate or your biggest enemy. And if you have a situation where ultimately you do decide to transition and leave a place, and maybe it wasn't the best situation to work in, you still don't want a person to ever be able to be like, 
they were terrible and then mm-hmm. it becomes like your word versus their word yeah or if something does happen where you do make a mistake or a client is not served as well as they should be you can say listen I tried mm-hmm. I told you I needed help it's not always the supervisors and the organizations they don't always have the capacity to say okay well we'll take 20 caseload cases off your caseload um and it is a systems issue it's an access issue it's a socioeconomic issue. Um, communities are not getting enough funding to mm-hmm. provide all the supports that they need to provide. Organizations, rather, are not getting the funding to support the communities that they need. Instead, that funding is going toward, you know, civil suits for police departments and things like that. Right. And that is why a lot of these changes that we're demanding, when you hear people say defund the police and things like that, it's because we recognize that this is a systemic issue. It's not that social workers just don't do a good job. Social workers are severely overworked and underpaid. Severely. That is a fact. So we will never pretend like you are not allowed to be tired. You are not allowed to acknowledge that you are overworked because we're humans. But at the same time, again, you have to advocate for yourself. So yeah. if you need help, say that. If it's overwhelming, say that. See what can be done. See if there's anything that can be done. Especially Maybe your supervisor needs to take a couple of your cases. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> we, we all take professional oaths, right? Regardless if our educational path is one that says we're a social worker or if it's just our professional path that says that we, when we step into these roles to help uh, underserved or underrepresented or just in need population, we take an oath with that and it comes in responsibility. Heavy responsibility comes mm-hmm. with that. So, Again, too, like not to discourage anyone, but if you are not sure if that's a responsibility that you want on your plate, then social work honestly may not be for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the case of Gabriel Fernandez, like, unfortunately, the result was a two to one opinion that said that they did not find the social workers guilty Mm -hmm. of falsifying documentation. Even though they literally falsified documentation. Exactly. Which is like crazy. It's a totally different topic for (laughs) different days. Systems, right? But use that, if for nothing else, as a cautionary tale, because it could have very much went the other way. And those four social workers would be in jail if it went the other way. And for some of those social workers, they might not have had anything to do with that case for over a year, Mm -hmm. but they were still being held liable in the sense of when they go back and look at those case notes, this person was involved at one point, then this person was involved, and then that person was involved. Mm-hmm. So again, just I encourage you, don't be typical. Stay yes. on top of your job. And if you need help, ask for help. Advocate for yourself so that you don't become a person that puts someone else's life in jeopardy. Working while black. Black while working. <laughs> now we have to say that every time. I know, that's a whole fact. It's a thing now. We almost freestyle in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so okay transitions right mm-hmm. when do you know that it's time to go all right let's firestorm this i know it's time to go when i use all my pay time off as soon as it's front loaded oh shoot i know it's time to go when i am literally the only black person i know it's time to go when people that i work with and see on a daily basis cannot remember my name I know it's time to go when somebody ate my goddamn lunch <laughs> out the fridge. 
That's a good one. I know it's time to go when the organizational values do not align with my personal values. Mm. I know it's time to go when it's not a collaborative atmosphere, but a competition. I know it's time to go when I just don't like being there. I know when it's time to go when I feel like I'm exposed to more microaggressions in a single day than I've had my entire life. I know it's time to go when organizational retention is more important than professional development. Mm. And I know when it's time to go when they don't even have a plan for diversity. Mm. I wouldn't leave it at that one. I mean, I have a few more, but that's, yeah. Okay, I'm going to give another one because I know when it's time to go when organizations start to recruit people of color without a plan of how to keep them safe Mm. within the organization. Talk about it. (laughs) Ask yourself. Yeah. Is where you working like any of these examples that we gave? Because if so, it might be time to go. (sighs) That rhymed. It might be time. And again, like we said, it's okay. It's okay when it's time to go. Um, And one thing that I I don't think social workers do enough is asking when we're interviewing for jobs, what's the lifespan of this role? How long do people normally stay in this role? And what's the culture like of the organization? It's okay to ask that. You know, I was in a role uh, for a year and a half maybe almost two years, and once I started to feel very, very burnt out, one of my coworkers was like, nobody has ever stayed in that role longer than a year. Wow. And it was like, wow, nobody told me that. Nobody told me that. So you got the trophy. Right, I got the trophy, but I didn't even want the trophy. Like, (laughs) if I would have known that the lifespan of that role was a year, once that year started to come up, I wasn't going to leave the organization, but you know, I was going to get moved to a different area. But because they were like, oh, well, you didn't tell us you wanted to get moved. They didn't move me, even though they knew that I was completely burnt out. Mm. So another thing you are completely allowed to ask when you are interviewing for roles, how long do people normally stay in this role? What's the turnover rate in this organization? Things like that. You are obligated to know that stuff before you make a decision. And I feel like, I mean, it's also okay to ask, like, if you are especially entering into a high stress level position, what sort of support does mm-hmm. that organization offer for its employees? So right. definitely you want to make sure that they have an EAP. For some reason, like, I'll give a quick example. As a case manager going into people's homes in and out, you might expose yourself to catching a cold more frequently because you're in people's houses. So if you need to call off and you don't have any issues, I'll definitely be able to get on And, like, just be open and honest with not only your supervisor, but also coworkers. I think a lot of times we...
specific organization like it is so important that you find Your other tribe. people that look like you who can debrief the day with you yeah because sometimes you might be tripping mm-hmm. you know there's there's been times like before you got to the organization there was a person that we had to debrief a lot mm-hmm. and someday she would just flat out tell me lola <laughs> you tripping yeah it was all you today and yeah. the other day she was like hold up yeah. Because I literally had that same situation yesterday and this is how they resolved it for me. So why was that not the same yeah. result for you? So Yeah. And that's important too. Like you have to have people that can bring you back down to earth and be like, Yeah, you're doing too much. Like stop. It's not that serious. Um, I have one coworker at our last institution that would always come in my office and just go off. She would be so annoyed, just so bothered. And sometimes I would just look at her and I would just be like, why are you mad? Like, why are you so mad? Mm-hmm. You know, or sometimes if she got really upset about the same things multiple days in a row. And so I would ask her, like, are you surprised when a bird flies? No, because right. that's what they do, right? So if you understand that this is this person's behavioral pattern, why is it making you angry every day? Right. Why are you giving your power away? And like, if you need people. that stressful, it's time to go. It's time to go. And, like, you need people who can have that real honest conversation with you, Um, especially, again, if you are a person of color or a black person at your place of employment because you are likely going to be the minority there, which means that you are experiencing the culture of your organization in a different way than everybody else is. And that's just a fact. And definitely black women out there, listen, I know that we we are super dope. But please do not cut down other black women that work in the same space as you because we definitely do need each other. We do. And also, don't feel obligated to play a superhero either because we get cast in that role a lot and we don't mm-hmm. ask for it. And then if we're unsuccessful, people definitely don't let you forget that. Yeah. Yeah, never. So if you're black in this field, it ain't easy. It's not. It's not easy, but find your tribe, know when it's time for you to walk away and be okay with walking away, walking deeper into your purpose, stepping higher into your own growth. Um, You owe that to yourself. You owe that to yourself. Being black is a commodity these days. Listen, it's so lit. I love it. Every day I wake up like, yes, (laughs) yes, I'm so happy I'm still black today. All right, so thank you so much for listening to episode five. Episode five. Uh, if you do not follow us on Instagram, go Please follow do. us. We are at atypical underscore social underscore worker. If you do follow us, I know you have some friends that don't. Yes, we need 500 followers. We're trying to reach 500 followers by the end of the week. 
we have a long way to go, like over 100. Yes, call to action, people. Come on, let's get it together. Get information, like Beyonce said. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, we are at atypical underscore social underscore worker. Also, if you have questions for us, inbox us. If you need to admit because your job is hard, let us know, okay? Yes, let's talk about (laughs) it. We can talk about it. Um, And if you know a phenomenal social worker. Nominate them, please. Nominate them. Um, because we want to acknowledge the work that other social workers are doing. Absolutely. We want to lend our platform to speak on other people. And it's just dope to see other people do what they do because if you win, you also get to do like a story highlight. So Yeah. And we will fun. have one coming up really soon, so don't be jealous when you see what it is. Right, because she's popping. Super popping. So, yeah, follow us. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Anything else? No, just love and peace. Peace and love. <laughs>